Let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 28 this morning. So a few years ago, I made a trip out to Kansas City. Some of you know that I support Kansas City and Missouri as part of my job. And so I used to fly out there three to four times a year. Haven't done that since uh, COVID started, so it's been a couple of years now. But a few years ago, I made a trip out to Kansas City. And I tell you, practically nothing went right on that trip. It started when I went through TSA. My carry-on luggage got flagged as I went through there. And even though I did not have anything that violated any of the TSA rules, decided he was going to flag a bunch of my stuff, like this little tiny bottle of glass cleaner and my toothpaste, even though it was the right size and fit all the, some reason. So he's going through all my stuff. And he was nice about it, but he kept questioning me and stuff. I'm like, I didn't break any of the rules. Everything's good here. And so I had to leave some stuff behind. Then the flight out of Columbus got delayed. So when I landed for my layover, I literally had to sprint. I'm talking about running to catch my plane and I'm dragging my suitcase that's got the wheels on it. And wouldn't you know it, I broke one of the wheels. So now that's just dragging across the floor. I actually got to the gate and they were closing the door as I got there. And I'm yelling, you know, so she's like, okay, okay, but get in here, you know, almost like it's my fault. So they let me in the plane finally, and then when I landed in KC to go get my rental car, there was an hour-long wait, which is highly unusual. So I stood in line, and as I made it up to the counter, I was told they didn't have the car that I reserved. And I've got to haul equipment and other stuff, so I can't just get myself some little smart car, you know, that only I can fit in. I've got to get a vehicle like an SUV or something like that. And they were saying, well, we're, we're kind of out, you know. I'm like, no, we can't be out. So finally they said, well, let's go out and look around. Look around? Let me check the computer, you know. So we go outside and we spent 20 minutes walking around outside trying to find a vehicle for me. And I should probably add that it was just over zero degrees with a 15 mile an hour wind and wind chill well below zero. And I was not dressed for it. Finally, I get out of there and show up at the hotel only to discover that the heater in my room is broken. So now I have no heat in the hotel, and it, like I said, it's just over zero degrees. So I go down to the front desk. I say, I'm sorry, but I'm going to need another room. And they said, oh, there's no rooms available because we've got a convention in town, and oh, by the way, we're overbooked, and we have three people we just sent away because we don't have a room for them. And I, at this point, was pretty fried and trying to keep my faith. And so I very calmly discussed with them how they're going to fix the heater in my room then. And sure enough, about three hours later, after sitting in this room freezing with my winter coat on, they found a guy to come up, and he did. He was able to fix it. And it actually led to an, a possibility to share the gospel with him. He was Muslim, had moved here. He spent time in Iraq and uh, was in prison for a while because he was an, an informant for the U.S. military. And he came here, and so I got a great opportunity to talk to him. while, And he was... Very engaging. He enjoyed the conversation, thanked me for sharing afterwards. So it all turned out for good, but nonetheless, I was still pretty fried. Now, I stay at this hotel every time I go because they've got this great breakfast spread. They have a chef, and the same chef is there every time I go. And custom makes omelets and everything. And so I look, that's why I stay there. My bosses are cool with that. They're like, no, stay there, enjoy your time, you know. I can find a cheaper place, but that always works, right? So I'm looking forward to breakfast. I go down there, and he didn't show up for work. 
So I settled for some of those rubberized, plastic, fake eggs and what they try to pass off as bacon and sausage, but you don't know where it came from. So I ended up finally leaving there and just, you know, wrap the story up. The rest of the trip pretty much was the same way. I was scheduled to do an office move. The manager and the operations manager didn't even show up for it. So I'm there trying to plan an office move. One person shows up. Where's the manager? Where's the operations manager? Oh, they've got other things they're doing. I'm by myself with this offer worker. We're trying to figure out how to do this office move. The movers don't show up. So I'm on the phone trying to track down movers. They finally show up four hours late. Now think about this. I'm planning a week out there. I go out every three or four months. I've got a lot to do. Everything's on a tight schedule. Everything's sort of, I got people lined up, engineers and all this stuff. To, and these guys show up four hours late. If that's not bad enough, they didn't send enough guys. There was nothing about this trip that went right. In fact, my second morning, I woke up with a splitting headache, sinus issues, and I was sick for the rest of the week. Then it all finishes. I get my stuff done. I get on a plane, and they tell me the plane's going to be delayed. We get off the plane, and I've now got to scramble to find another flight back to Columbus. Nothing about this trip went right. Not a thing went right. And that's often the way our lives are, is it not? You run into stuff. It doesn't go the way you want. Well, think about the Apostle Paul here. You know, he was told he was going to be going to Rome. You know, he gets on a boat. He expects five weeks to get to Rome. It turns into a three-year ordeal, ultimately, by the time he's done. Not just getting on the ship, but from the time he gets to Jerusalem. You know, he knows he's going to go to, go to Rome because Jesus told him. So he gets to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to go to Rome. But that whole entire process takes him three years, and it certainly did not go as you would think it should go. And I'm sure that Paul at times wondered why this was working out the way that it was working out. Think about this. He was beaten, arrested, tortured, torn apart, or almost torn apart. He was tried. He stood trial before a couple of corrupt governors. He was before King Agrippa. He was, you know, thrown into a you know sea. He was off course. He was shipwrecked. He ends up on an island. All kinds of stuff. Nothing went the way that it should have gone. So the question is, where was God through all this? Where was God through all this? You know, it was his plan. Paul didn't just choose to go to Rome. He wanted to, but the Lord said, yeah, you're going to Rome. So where was the Lord in all of this, this three-year ordeal? Why did everything go so sideways for Paul? Well, we're going to look at just five things today as we look at this um, that tell us where God was and what God did. And it's pretty remarkable as you think about it. What our plans are are not always God's plans. And when things don't go the way we think they should go, it's easy for us to, sit, to wonder where God is in the process. And the reality of it is he's still there. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. And if we just look, we'll realize that he's still there. And we see that with Paul today. The first thing I want to see in Acts chapter 28 is how the Lord showered Paul with his goodness through this trip. And we see a great example of that in verses 1 and 2. The Lord did not abandon Paul. In fact, we start our passage with him showing kindness to Paul. God is known for that. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 28. Paul, at this point, is shipwrecked on this island of Malta. You remember, he just got, you know, he had to jump off the ship and swim into shore. It says, When they had brought, or when 
They had been brought safely through, that's through the ocean. Um, Then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain they had set in, or because the rain had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled the fire and they received us all. Let's kind of break this down. There doesn't look like there's a whole lot there, but there actually is. If you think about this, again, Paul is now wet, it's cold, it's raining. The thing we don't quite see here is that this is actually fall leading into winter. It's a very cold time of year in this part of the country, or this part of the world. And so Paul (laughs) comes out of the water, he's wet, he's cold, he's shivering, he's on this beach. They don't really know where they're at even. If you remember, the sailors, when they had seen this island, didn't know what the island was. Why? They had been blown almost 400 miles off course. It had been dark for weeks. The only way they could tell... Where they were was by the stars and by the sun. That's how they navigated. They hadn't seen that in forever. They had no idea where they were. The sailors didn't even recognize the island until they got on the island and Paul discovers, oh, it's Malta. Well, Malta was a well-known island. The problem is that they had approached the island from the south and that's not where ships came in. Ships came in from the north. That's where the ports were. But because they had come in from the south after having been blown way off course, They had no idea where they were. So they show up on this island. They don't know where they're at. They're cold. It's rainy. They had just spent, you know, six months on a ship floating around in the ocean. But what happens? It says the natives, these are basically a bunch of Phoenicians. They were a bunch of Gentiles. But the natives, it says, showed them extraordinary kindness. In fact, It says they continued, which is a word that describes ongoing action. They continued to show Paul and the rest this extraordinary kindness. Luke does what he always does here. He uses some understatement. He actually says literally, they showed us no little kindness. That's Luke's way of stressing something. He uses sort of this backdoor approach to telling us things sometimes. There are different Greek words in the New Testament that refer to kindness, and this one actually reflects a genuine love of mankind. Now think about that. These are natives on the island. You see these guys, 276 come off a ship. And what they demonstrate to them is this genuine love and kindness for these strangers. That's kind of an unusual quality and trait, even in our world today. You know, um, Oftentimes we treat those we love and those who are like us with favor and goodness and kindness, but those we don't like, with vitriol or other things, right? And um, so the word that's used here is this word for genuine fondness for other people, even though they don't know them. That's what greeted Paul and these men coming up. Can you imagine how um, that must have been? I mean, if I got shipwrecked on an island and a bunch of natives came running out of the sides, I'd be a little concerned maybe. Or at least a little, I don't know these people, you know. But it's almost as if, in fact, a little bit later it says that the the word that's used there is they received us all. It's the word for welcome. In fact, most of your translations probably use the word they welcomed us. It shows this idea of embracing them and bringing them in. In fact, they built them a fire. They took care of their needs when they got there. This is incredible kindness that is shown by strangers to a bunch of shipwrecked people. And the other thing we have to remember here is that This was a ship carrying prisoners. That's not the kind of people that you really like to wrap your arms around. 
That was a cargo ship, but they had prisoners on it. These natives didn't know who these people were, but they welcomed them on their shores. They built a fire. They took care of their needs. And again, according to the tenses used here, they continued to do it. So imagine how Paul and these 275 men must have felt after three months at sea, being beaten, battered by the winds and waves, adrift at sea with no idea where they were. They never knew if they'd see land again. They even, at one point, Luke says, they abandoned all hope of being saved. They end up on this island and they're greeted with warmness and kindness and gentleness. I would imagine that the Apostle Paul probably got down on his knees, knees and thanked God, not just for the safety and the security that they now had, but probably for the welcome they received. Takeaway, I think, for us is this. Isn't this the way God works sometimes? Have you ever been through a really difficult time or a time of trial or difficulty or stress or hardship and God just somehow brings somebody alongside you in their kindness and their goodness and their just... Man, what a, what a relief. That's the way God works sometimes. You know, he goes above and beyond. He doesn't just say, well, okay, Paul, I'll put you on an island, you'll be safe. He does it with kindness, gentleness, from complete strangers. You know, one of the things my dad always did, which I've had a tendency to pick up from him, was whenever we went someplace, we went to a grocery store, or something like that, or a restaurant, Dad would kind of always go out of his way to say something kind or nice or he would talk with them in an in a interesting way. And, and even last night after we got done with the rally, we went to Wendy's and they were busy and, you know, they got slammed pretty good and we were waiting for our stuff, you know, and I noticed the girl that was taking care of us was running around doing multi, multiple things, you know, and tasks. And so I'm just kind of watching her and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if she could use some encouragement. So when she came up to my order, I looked at her and said, man, it looks like you're really working hard tonight. And she said, yeah. I said, rough night? And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, you're doing a great job. She goes, well, thanks. You know, and she goes, yeah, this gets crazy, you know, with the rally and everything, people coming through, you know. And now, whether it made a difference in her night, don't know. But uh, my whole point was just be kind. I could have just taken the order, said thank you, and walked away. But instead, I decided to take that extra step. That's something I learned from my dad. It's not because of my Christian faith, I wouldn't say. It's because I learned it growing up. And it fits my Christian faith. So that's what we see here with Paul. And sometimes God is that way. So where was God during this time with Paul? He was right there still. Made sure that he had some kindness in his life when he got to this island. How about the second thing that we see here? Well, I'm going to say this. The Lord protected Paul so that he could complete his mission. And this was a rough, rough mission. There were many points along this route that Paul could have died. In fact, there was many things along this whole entire three-year journey that Paul could have lost his life over, but the Lord protected him. Look at verses twenty, or look at verses three through six. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, "Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live." However, he shook the creature off the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and they had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. What an interesting event. <laughs> what an interesting event. So here Paul is, and I like this too. There's just all these little little things here, but Paul's actually helping gather firewood. You know? So he goes out. That's that's Paul, that's the way we see him. He was willing to work with his hands. How many might just sit there and Hey, I've, been on, I've had a rough journey here. I'm just going to wait to be served now. These people are being gracious and kindness. They built me a fire. Paul's out finding firewood, working. And what happens? 
he decides to, you know, throw the wood onto the fire and the snake jumps out and latches onto his hands. And I love the way it's described because it's not like he bit him and disappeared. It's hanging there. So you can just imagine Paul getting bit, holding his hand up, giving it a strange look, and all the people around him are staring at this, and he's got a snake dangling on the hand. So what does he do? Tosses it off, goes about his business. No harm, no foul, right? Now what's interesting is that within this culture, snakes were ultimately a form of judgment. And that's why these natives, as they looked at Paul and they saw this, they said, oh, certainly he's a murderer. God, the gods, their pagan gods, were condemning this man. So he was, and you know, that would make sense because remember, there were prisoners on this ship. And so they just assumed Paul was one of them. So they sat back and watched and waited for him to die. But Paul's going about his business. Nothing's happening. You know, now, think about Luke, you don't have to turn here, but Luke chapter 10, verse 18, when Jesus sent out the 70s, he made an interesting comment regarding serpents. Wouldn't bring him any harm. Now, I don't know that that applies. There are some within Christian circles that drink strychnine and charm snakes. I think it's a little crazy myself. I don't think Jesus promised us that we could do that. When I go walking in the woods, I'm hoping I don't see a copperhead or others, you know, and if I did, I wouldn't puff my chest out and put my hand out. I'd run. I don't think Jesus promised us necessarily that we'd be able to do this. Some would argue that Mark, at the end of Mark, says that he would, but that section of Scripture is in question in the sense that we're not sure if it's part of the original text or not. But the reality of it is, um, Paul gets bit by a snake here, and when they see that nothing happens to him, they kind of think, okay, he's not a murderer. Maybe he's a god, which, again, would be something from their culture. Remember what the Greeks did when they thought he thought, was it he and Barnabas were Zeus? You know? Um, so what's going on here? Well, it's kind of a strange event. We understand that. But one of the things that we find here is, this, is the Lord's way of protecting Paul because remember, it's the Lord that's sending him to Rome. It wouldn't make sense for the Lord to say, Paul, you're going to Rome. You're going to testify before kings and governors. And Oh, by the way, you're going to die of a snake. You're never going to make it, Paul. And so the Lord, see, we see his protection. We've seen his protection through this whole ordeal. I'll remind you again as we get near the end here, the things that Paul actually went through, and we see God's protection over and over throughout this. It may not have felt that way for Paul as he's, you know, sitting in a prison for two years, waiting for a decision as to whether he's guilty or innocent when Festus and Felix treated him the way they did. It may not have felt that way. When he ends up on the ship and gets blown off course, it may not have felt that way. When it finally ran aground and they had to jump into the water and swim, may not have felt that way. Here they are on an island initially before the natives came out not knowing where they're at. They may have wondered, are we going to die here? May not have felt like God's protection was there, but we've seen that every step of the way. When the Lord calls us for a specific purpose, he will protect us. That's the takeaway for this. And so when we go through a difficult trial, James promises us what? That if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give us wisdom. But James also tells us that we can have joy during times of trial. Why? Because the Lord will use that trial to ultimately, James says, make our faith perfect. We don't have to question. So even though we may go through difficult times or trials, the Lord has called us to certain things, and he will protect us to make sure that those things are accomplished. Now, we may not always know what those are right up front. Sometimes we will. 
Sometimes we know through the work of the Holy Spirit, God has called me to something specific or God has wanted me to do this specifically. And even though the path may be a little bit jagged, and we may, if we start to wonder, where is God in all this? And start to doubt God, that's not what he wants us to do because he will be there and he will protect us and he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And we see that exactly here with Paul. So it doesn't matter what side routes we have to take to get there or little obstacles that are in the way. And James makes that really clear to us. The obstacles are simply an opportunity to trust the Lord, to know that he'll do exactly what he said. And so in this case, Paul had his promise, you're going to go to Rome, and we see that protected here. Maybe that's why Paul just simply shrugged it off and went about his business. He knew, I'm going to Rome. Snake's got nothing on me. And so we not only see God's protection here, but we'll also see that it actually sort of authenticates Paul as a messenger of God, and we'll see that. Let's look at the third thing. The third thing is that nothing may be going to a plan here, but the Lord actually used Paul, maybe in ways that didn't apply directly to what God was going to do with him, but along the way. So here it is, we've seen already Paul and how the Lord used Paul on this ship. You remember the sailors and, and others wanted to abandon the ship and Paul speaks to them about God's message and they all have to go through a number of um, tests where they have to trust at least Paul. Remember that with the ship. We talked about that was at last, a couple of weeks ago um, where there were a number of times where these men on the ship had to trust Paul and they did things that might go contrary to what you would expect them to do, including abandoning ship. And so there were all these times where um, they had to learn to trust. And again, maybe it was Paul, maybe some of them trusted the Lord as a result. Well, God is going to continue to use Paul, and he actually uses Paul on this island as well. Things obviously, again, are not going to plan, but look at verses 7 through 9. Paul may have been wondering, maybe not, I would be. I'm supposed to go to Rome. I'm stuck on an island. How do I do what I'm supposed to do when I'm stuck on an island? Verses 7 through 9. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him after he had prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had, um, who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. So here it is. Paul's on this island in the middle of nowhere. I would imagine he's, he might be thinking finally, okay, we're finally off that stupid ship. Now I get to finally make it to Rome, but the problem is it's wintertime. He knows he's got at least three, three months on this island. Now think about us for a minute. If he knows he's supposed to go to Rome, and that's ultimately where he's trying to get, and he's been delayed and delayed and delayed. Remember, he spent two years sitting in a, not really a prison, but he was waiting for the governor to make a decision as to whether he's guilty or innocent of what the Jews had accused him of. He sat there for two years. He had at least a two-year delay. Then he gets on a ship, and he's now delayed another three months up to this point. When that happens, do you think about what God is going to do in the meantime? 
Do we get so focused on, well, but that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's where I'm supposed to go. That's what the Lord promised me. And we're not thinking about, well, what might God do in the meantime here in this little sidetrack? And so Paul's on this island. He's been sidetracked. I think about this when I graduated from college. My goal was to go into Christian radio and television. I had changed from computer science specifically to radio and television broadcasts, telecommunications, because I was looking for an opportunity to use my skills in ministry. And so I thought Christian radio. And so I had actually started a Christian broadcast on a secular school station broadcasting Christian music. I was working or actually interning at the largest Christian radio station in the nation. And so that was my goal. I met the owner of the station. Um, he, was, he was an extremely popular individual in secular media. In fact, there was a, a nationalized, syndicated um, evening show on primetime television called PM Magazine. His wife was the host, and he was the engineer for all of that. Well, he owned this radio station. They had left that, and they had come here. And so I had talked to them one day, and, he, and I said, what can I do to help further Christian radio? And he said, the best thing you can do is get some experience in secular radio because we are lagging behind in technology and other things. So go out there and bring back what you learn, and we can do And he was right. Christian radio and television back then was really, in some respects, pretty pathetic. Not like today, where some of the programs rival and the movies rival what we see anywhere else. And so that's what I did. I took a job in secular radio, thinking I was going to do that for a short period of time and go back into Christian radio, but it didn't work out that way. In fact, I had sent out 40 resumes to Christian radio stations and televisions at one point, television stations. I didn't hear from a single one, not one. And I began to wonder, God, I I, I changed because I thought this is where I was convinced God wanted me to go this route. And here I am in Wausau, Wisconsin, doing sales. I'm not even on the radio anymore. I'm doing sales for a radio station because that's what was available. And then I tell you, I was at a point in my life where I'm like, God, what are you doing? I'm supposed to be there. That's what I'm supposed to do. So I took this job at the secular radio station, trying to get experience, but got moved into sales instead of being on on air, wondering what God was doing. What's interesting, too, is after I had started at this radio station, about three months later, I finally got a response to one of my resumes. It was a company right near Green Bay at a great Christian radio station that wanted somebody to do on-air work for them and computer stuff for them. That was my minor. This was a perfect fit, but there was something about that that didn't feel right. And part of it was, you know, I committed to this station for at least a year. I think I need to honor my word. But I thought, God, what are you doing? Why couldn't you have done that before I did this? Before I ended up in Wausau? I mean, if that's what you wanted me to do, you should have told me first. So I'm struggling through this whole time. But you know what's interesting about that? God knew what he was doing. God used me in Wausau for some things. But he had a plan. He was still there. We'll get to that in just a minute. If we look at what happened during this three-month diversion of the Apostle Paul here, go back to the text. Notice it says here that this man, Publius, who happened to be a very important, a leading man, it says, of the island. We don't know if that means that he was the governor or if he was simply one of the most influential men on the island. The language is a little unclear there. But this was an important man with a big house, a big mansion. And he invites Paul, probably some of his companions. We don't know if he invited all 276 men from the ship. But he takes them into his home and he entertains them for three days, we're told. And while Paul is there, he learns that this man's dad has 
what some refer to as dysentery. It was a gastrointestinal illness. There's something on Malta. It's called the Malta flu. It's caused by parasites drinking goat's milk, which was very common. And so it's quite common that that's exactly what was happening here. And it's something that oftentimes would last for months or years. And so this man had been sick for a while. And so Paul visits him, prays for him, lays his hands on him, and he heals him. Now, this is not a huge island. It was fairly small, 8 miles by 18. But yet, there was opportunity for ministry there. And so it starts with Paul healing this man's father. And then look at what happens in verse 9. It says, The rest of the people of the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. Kind of sounds an awful lot like what was happening with the apostles in Jerusalem. Bringing all the sick people were hearing. Now, what's interesting about this, I'm going to go out on a limb. I usually tell you what I'm going to speculate, so I'm speculating here, but I think with good cause. You notice in this text, Paul, or I'm sorry, Luke never once mentions Paul preaching the gospel. We could assume he didn't, but how many of you here think that Paul could spend three months on an island getting sidetracked and not open his mouth? I think he'd find a rock to share Christ with or a tree, or some forest animal, because that's what Paul did. Especially if he's healing, people are bringing the sick and the diseased. Can you imagine Paul for a moment just healing their diseases, but not healing their soul? That is not in Paul's makeup. And you know what? History and church tradition bears that out. Because here's what we know about the island of Malta. It appears that Publius was converted and became the first elder of Malta because that's what some of the ancient writings tell us, historical writings. It says that he served the church there for 31 years, and then he moved on to Athens in AD 90 where he was actually martyred 35 years later. They don't martyr pagans. They martyr Christians. And so he went on to Athens where it says that he was martyred. We also have a list of historical information regarding Christianity on Malta. We have the names of bishops that served in Malta from two large churches that recorded a list of secession of important leaders at the Malta church. In fact, we have lists of these men that sort of succeeded him from two, two church councils. One of them is a council in AD 451, another was a council in 501. And so we have these church councils where they record the names of important people in the church. And they list from him a number of bishops that succeeded him, that were mentored, etc. And so what we actually see, and it's not a ton of information, but it's enough to tell us that something happened on Malta that led people to Christ, established a church there, and we had a successive number of important leaders that continued the tradition apparently that had been started by Publius on the island. That fits with what we know about the Apostle Paul, that God used him on that island to lead people to Christ. And even today, where Paul landed, that is actually called the Bay of St. Paul. In fact, they refer to Paul to this day on that island as the patron saint of Malta. 
because of the influence that Paul had. And so while Luke may not mention to us that Paul preached the gospel, he doesn't need to. And I would assume Luke knew that. We also see as we look at it, their response, we'll get to that in just a minute here, but one of the takeaways is that even though things don't always go according to our plan, it doesn't mean that God's not doing things according to his plan. And that's exactly what he did with Paul. He used Paul on this island, and he will use us regardless of our circumstances and where we go and what we do. Think about back to my life in Wausau, Wisconsin. I thought I was going into Christian radio and television. That was my plan. But instead, God took me to Wausau, Wisconsin, where I happened to meet Pastor Krenz, who mentored and discipled me for a couple of years, taught me how to handle this book, ultimately encouraged me to go on to seminary, paid for it, his church paid for the rest. I was able to go on into seminary, focus on the education, and not have to worry about the finances because God took care of them through the church. So he not only introduced me to the man that would radically change my life, but sent me on a seminary which would do the same and financed all of it. I happened to meet there a great family. They just came to visit this last week. It was friends of mine from back home that we still keep in touch with. I became part of their family. Great, godly family friends that I met that to this day we keep in contact with. They came and they brought gifts for my daughters. I sat up late into the night talking to Dave about my daughters and about some other things. God knew exactly what he was doing. I thought I was being sidetracked. I thought I knew where God wanted me to go. I thought I knew what God wanted me to do, but God used me in Wausau and used it to radically change my life. And the same thing with Paul here. That's the way God works sometimes. I think we've got to just stop thinking about, but he wanted me to do that and start thinking about what's he doing right here, right now. And so Paul spent three months on this island. I would imagine Paul looked at that as a tremendous time and he probably, when it came time to leave, probably was going to miss these people. We know that Paul had a passion for those that he ministered to. In fact, he would go back and visit churches. He would write letters to them. We don't know if he ever wrote a letter to Malta. Not everything Paul wrote probably was scripture. But I would assume at some point he maybe penned a letter to him. How are you folks doing? God used him there and he will do that even in the midst of our side trackings and everything else, just like he did with me. Let's go on to the fourth thing. The fourth thing we see is how the Lord provided for Paul. Look at Acts 28, verse 10. It says, They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. What an incredible send-off. They all come out. Paul and the others are prepared to leave the island, and it says the islanders honored them with marks of respect. The language that's used there means they gave them gifts. That's a way of saying that they had given them all kinds of gifts. Not only that, it says they provided them with everything that they needed. So not only did they give them food and water and probably pack the ship with stuff so that they could sail on, but they went above and beyond that and they gave them gifts. That's another indication to me that they likely had come to Christ because they were giving to Paul and their companions gifts. And that's what we do when we show appreciation. As I mentioned, when Dave and Joy came to visit us on Monday, they had stopped at an antique mall on their drive over and they texted me and said, what did Katie and Kimberly like? We're at an antique store. We need to get something. You know? And part of it was they wanted to honor us and the girls for giving up their room. And so they brought them gifts. That's what you do. And so we see that here with, uh, with these folks from Malta and Paul. 
The Lord provided for Paul's needs and he did it in abundance. Isn't that what he does with us? God rarely stops with giving us only exactly what we need and nothing more. We're told that he does things in abundance and he did that here. So one of the many advantages that we have over the world, and this is our takeaway, I think, is that we don't have to worry about our needs. Especially when things don't seem to be going like we thought they might go, when we might really wonder, is God going to take care of us? Is God going to provide for us at this time? You know, one of the first questions I asked Pastor Krenz when he said, I think you need to go to seminary. I said, how am I going to pay for it? He said, you don't have to worry about that. The Lord's going to take care of that. And then he personally wrote a $1,000 check out of his own bank account and then said, let's talk to the church. The church gave me another $1,000 to pay for it out of, a, out of their fund. Then he said, let's talk to the family. The family came up with the rest out of their own pockets. I never had want. In fact, the Lord provided me with enough to even buy a computer to use and some other things that I needed. Went above and beyond. And so Jesus tells us the same thing. Tells us in Luke 9, Jesus said, Take nothing from your journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and you don't even have to take two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there until they leave, or until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from the city, shake off the dust. Your feet as a testimony against them. He basically told his disciples as he sent, out, sent them out, Don't worry. The Lord will care for you. You can turn here on your own, but Luke chapter 10, same thing. He tells us, don't worry. You've got nothing to worry about. God's going to provide for needs. He always does. And so here Paul is on this island of Malta, needs goods to get back on a ship. Well, that's the last place I'd want to go, to sail on to Italy. The Lord, the Lord loads up the ship, not just with the provisions they need, but gifts to take with them. It's the way the Lord works. How about the last thing we see? The last thing we see here is how all of this ultimately encouraged Paul, lifted his spirits. And we see that in kind of a unique way here. If you look at Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 11 through 15, it says, At the end of three months we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put out to Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there we sailed around and arrived at Regium, and a day later the south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Petolia. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came there from as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now think about this for a minute. I'm going to draw your attention to verses 14 and 15, but before we do that, I want to remind you of what the last three years have been like for Paul. I've already hinted at some of these things. But I just want you to listen to what the last three-plus years have been for him. As soon as he gets to Jerusalem, within two weeks, he gets accosted by an angry mob of Jews while he's worshiping in the temple. He's dragged outside, and then they begin to beat him. That's how his introduction to Jerusalem went. Paul, this is Jesus. I'm sending you to Rome. And within two weeks, he's lying on the ground in a heap after being beaten for simply going into the temple and worshiping. That's how it begins. 
He was then arrested by the Romans, who supposedly should have been there to rescue him. He was then falsely accused by preaching against Moses, the law, his own people, and even desecrating the temple. He was called an anti-Semite. You're preaching against your own people. In his defense before the angry mob, they responded in a frenzy and demanded his death. The Roman commander then ordered him to be tortured through scourging, and he barely escapes that as they're strapping him up to the post, getting ready to scourge his back. And he says, uh, do you do this to Romans? And so he barely escapes that. So then he gets this opportunity to speak again to the Sanhedrin. And what do they do? Almost tear him apart where the Roman guard or the Romans have to come in and rescue him again because they're afraid he's going to be completely torn apart and killed. Then he escapes an assassination attempt. He goes to Caesarea where he faces an unjust, corrupt trial before a governor, Felix, and then he's unfairly incarcerated for two years, waiting for an answer, and stuck waiting for two years without a ruling. If that wasn't enough, he then faced another assassination attempt, another unfair trial by another somewhat corrupt governor. And then he gets to go stand before King Agrippa, who, eh, doesn't do much better. But wait, there's more. He then gets on a ship. Finally, I'm going to Rome. Gets blown offshore. This wonderful cruise lasted six months during the coldest, most dangerous part of the year. Typhoon shows up. Gets lost at sea, blown hundreds of miles off course, many days without food, no sun, no stars, it's cold. It's not like they can build a fire on the ship. Then, just when they see land, crash on some rocks, gets dumped into the sea, has to then swim through the icy cold waters, gets on the beach, you don't have any sunshine, now it's raining and it's cold and it's windy. But they're taken care of, right? But even then, now they got to wait three months on this island because it's winter and they can't set sail until it gets to spring. Finally, they get to get back on a ship, probably the last place he wants to be, and finally start heading to Rome. That's what he's experienced. This whole process has taken three years. How much of those three years was spent fellowshipping with believers. How much of those three years were spent doing what Paul loved and was called to do? Planting churches, going from city to city, preaching the gospel. He had opportunity. There's no question about that. He preached before the Sanhedrin. He got to share the good news with the people at Malta. He got opportunity, but this was not at all what Paul had intended for three years, and it certainly was not an easy life. In fact, you know, the only traveling companions he had that were of like faith were two individuals. Luke and Aristarchus. Now, he got visitors on occasion, we're told, when he was in you know, confinement for two years, he said that people were able to visit him, but you can imagine what that must have been like. He probably didn't get to spend his days with believers. He just got occasional visitors, and most of the time was spent probably by himself, sitting in solitude. How many of us would struggle with that? How many of us could do that? And yet, that's what Paul's life has been like. But 
when he arrives here, notice what it says. There's a church there. And these appear to be mature believers. And in fact, not only is there a church there, but it says that they came from other areas down to see Paul. They came to see him. And I, and I think the most important part of this verse is the very last word in verse 15. What does it say? Paul took courage. Imagine what that must have been like. Because for three plus years, Paul's fellowship was limited. In fact, most of his time was spent with pagans, with Gentiles. He was with the Roman guards. He was chained to them. He was confined. You know, he's on a ship with a bunch of prisoners and sailors. And we know what sailors are like, according to the traditions, right? He ends up in Malta, which no church presence there. These were pagans. Now they came to Christ, but at best, it would have been what we call a one-way relationship. You know, we have those friends that are ministry friends, meaning it's almost like it's all us pouring into them, but we don't receive much in return, which is okay at times. But sometimes we desperately need to be around other mature believers, and they encourage us, and they strengthen us. And so that's what Paul found here. And so after this three-year ordeal, when Paul, when Paul is finally delivered to the coast, close to Rome here, we're told that he took courage because of the believers that were there. You know, there's no question about the fellowship that other believers provide to us in terms of encouragement. It's one of the ways the Lord encourages us, isn't it? We need that. And the Lord knew that. And so he delivers that to Paul here. He could have just gone right up to Rome and ended up, you know, in his self-confinement, as we'll learn here in a bit, where people can come visit him. But before he does that, that intervening little moment, the Lord provides Paul with the encouragement that he needs from other believers that, again, appear to be mature. There's a well-established church here. People are coming from around from other cities, traveling to specifically visit Paul, and it lifted Paul's spirits and encouraged him, just at the time that he probably needed it most. Especially even after having to leave Malta, what that must have been like to leave Malta. Great ministry there, and now I'm getting back on a ship, I'm going to Rome, don't know what to expect. But in the meantime, there's these believers. This is important for us too, but God does that. He provides other believers especially mature ones, to bring them into our lives to encourage us just at the moment and the time where we need it most. We've got to take advantage of that, not forsake that. So what do we see with Paul today? Even though things didn't go as planned, the Lord was certainly at work. We see that. This was not just some meaningless sidetracking for three years. The Lord had his plans. He was kind to Paul. He protected Paul so he could fulfill his ministry. The Lord used him during this little hiatus of sorts. He continued to provide for Paul's needs, and then finally he even encouraged Paul at a time when he needed it most. God was certainly at work, and he will do the same for us. So when we find ourselves in those times where maybe it's not quite going exactly as we expected, we wonder what God might be doing, ask yourself what he is doing. Is he doing what he did for Paul? 
That's the way that God works. Amen? Amen.